COVID issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Now, as you know, we are big fans of an obscenity here at Standard Issue. In fact, I would say that my swear jar isn't even rattling anymore. It's so damn full. But why is swearing so offensive when the words don't really mean anything offensive? Philosopher Dr Rebecca Roach, a senior lecturer at Royal Holloway, University of London, was keen to get to the bottom of this. And she examines this and much more besides in her book, For Fuck's Sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude and Fun. She joins me on this week's Chops to chat about this, what makes anything offensive, the double standard when it comes to women and industrial language, shall we say, and why cunt is the worst word. In case it's not immediately obvious from this intro, I should say that you're going to hear the C-bomb in this interview. So if you are joining Standard Issue for the very first time and that kind of chat is likely to offend you, I suggest you fuck right off at this junction. You also might not want to listen to this in front of small ears. I found this a fascinating chat and I very much hope you do too. I am joined by Dr Rebecca Roach, Senior Lecturer in Philosophy at Royal Holloway University of London, podcaster and author of the new book, For Fuck's Sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude and Fun. Rebecca, how the fuck are you? I'm, I'm fucking excellent, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent too. I've been reading your book and I, I have to say, like, listeners of the podcast will know I am a prolific swearer sometimes probably a bit too much I probably should consider toning it down a little bit but this is what we're going to talk about in your book you go in with cunt on page two and I respect that so please can can you tell us a little bit more about what the book is about yeah yeah no well my my doorway into this topic was thinking about how asterisks work in swearing, you know, if you're reading a newspaper and a swear word is reported and they want you to know what the swear word is, but they don't want to write it out. And I, 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 saw, I saw a story like that and I just started thinking, how does that work? You know, we, we, the intention is clearly to communicate the word, but also clearly it seems to work to reduce its offensiveness, even though we all know what the word is. So I so started thinking, like, I'll, I'll go and see what other philosophers have said about this. Somebody must have written about it. And they hadn't. So I thought I better had, or I wanted to. And yeah, I just, the more I started thinking about it, the more sort of fascinating it became from a philosophical point of view. The fact that we all have this belief that you shouldn't swear. I mean, in inverted commas, even if you like swearing, there's, it's, it's naughty. Or there's, there's at least some context where you, you shouldn't or wouldn't do it. So yeah, just trying to unpick that, you know, what, what is that? ought in we ought not to swear what sort of norms are we breaking when we swear why is it naughty it's just words and and why is it satisfying and shocking too so i mean i don't want to like go in too hard with a big big spoiler straight off the bat but you say that the offensiveness of swearing isn't about the words so mm-hmm. can you can you tell me a little bit more about your argument around this because there's something else that you say about there's like an emotional aspect to swearing what is the offense of swearing what where is the offense in swearing i think it's a few things i mean yes you're right it's it's not it's not the words themselves there's nothing 
in particular that's magically shocking about those sounds or those letters in that order um as my kids have discovered when they they they're fond of saying you know that word that's the first syllable of country the country is like a completely unshocking word you know even though it um the sound that in other contexts we find really shocking but yes yeah, so i think if if you want to explain why these words are shocking there's a few things going on one is that there's this history of i mean it, it has its roots in blasphemy where there was this idea that by saying particular things you could bring spiritual harm on yourself right um you see that in expressions like, I mean, for, for fuck's sake, the title of my book, it's, it's completely meaningless unless you sort of take a historical view of it and think, okay, well, this was originally for God's sake, which was blasphemy, right? And then as religious swearing became less shocking because society became more secular, we've replaced it with this other word that is a bit more shocking. So I think that sort of spiritual connection and that sort of word magic the power of um to to make to make harm happen by uttering certain words i think that's part of it i think also part of it is the i mean you mentioned this emotional aspect of it and we're not always venting emotion when we swear but we often are you know sort of if you're angry or uh frustrated or in pain then you might swear to to vent it and when we encounter somebody expressing anger or aggression or, or some sort of negative emotion that itself can be quite shocking right if you just see someone just completely lose it on a, a train <laughs> that's that's quite alarming so i think you know some swearing taps into that if somebody is using it aggressively or angrily then that sort of emotional aspect can figure into its effect on us and also i think that the fact that we all know that these words are taboo that they're not words to say in polite context means that when somebody does say them in those contexts it's quite a powerful signal of disrespect or it can be it's it's kind of shorthand for saying um i know my saying this is going to make you uncomfortable, but I don't care how you feel. I'm going to say it anyway. Um, and I think we pick up on that that signal of disrespect and sometimes contempt. You know, in, in some contexts, it, it can be quite contemptuous. There's no one factor, I think, that explains fully why swearing shocks and offends us. But I think there's these different layers that, you know, sort of when we take account of them together, they paint the picture for us. I think it's like quite an interesting question at the heart of it about like what is offensive, who decides what is offensive, and then a kind yeah. of like, do we have the right to offend? How do we make that judgment? I wonder what you thought about about that. Yeah, there's different ways of understanding the word offend. Um, so this is something I talk a bit about in the book as well. Uh, drawing from as a uh, a legal philosopher called Joel Feinberg, who wrote a huge book on offence that came in quite useful when I was researching my book and he he talks about two different senses of offence so one is sometimes we say that something is offensive in a way that means I I don't like it you know I find it offensive even if I might be wrong so somebody might be offended by interracial relationships and so you know in that case we might say well yeah you find that offensive but that's that's your problem really they're not actually offensive so, so that's a sense of offensive that just kind of describes people's reactions. And then there's this more substantial way of understanding what's offensive, which is that it involves wrongdoing. So it involves 
disrespecting people. So it, it might be I um, if I do something offensive, I'm doing something that you don't like. And I'm also somehow wronging you by doing that thing, either by harming you or uh, upsetting you in a way that was avoidable and so on. Um, so I think a lot of the debate around, you know, do we have a right to offend people? I think you can, to some extent, clarify that by thinking about those two different senses of offence. You know, do we have a right to say things that some people won't like? Well, yes, you can't possibly know what people are going to like and dislike for a start. Um, do we have a right to, I think sometimes the debate is around, sort of, do we have a right to say things that are disrespectful, especially about already oppressed groups? And I think that's sort of where wrongdoing starts to come into it. But with swearing, I think it's it's a little bit more complicated because we manage to offend people by uttering swear words because we've all agreed that these are ways to signal disrespect. So there's no kind of deep meanings. Okay, why does the word fuck? It's why is that so harmful in certain contexts when you know a word like table is not? And there's no deep meaning to it except that you know if you if you know that somebody doesn't like you behaving in a certain way and you can avoid behaving in that way, then, you know, in most cases we think, well, just don't do it if it's not costing you anything. You know, someone doesn't like you eating noisily, for example, and you are, this is a conversation I have with my daughter, so it's like, shut your mouth when you're eating. You know, if you if you know that uh, somebody doesn't like you behaving in a certain way and it's it's no skin off your nose if you don't behave in that way, then the, the respectful thing to do is to just you know respect the way they feel but I think swearing is kind of like that where it's sort of that in certain contexts in polite contexts we know that people aren't going to like us saying these things mm. and you know if you care about not upsetting people then you can avoid saying those things if it doesn't involve a big sacrifice for you to do so but I think you know then you come up against things like freedom of speech because then the question might be well why don't we never swear? Because there's always the possibility of upsetting somebody. And I think, you know, if that was, that might be too far in the sort of cautionary direction because swearing can be an important form of expression and it's good if people have a wide range of ways to express themselves and so on. So, a bit of a long, convoluted answer to your question no, no, no. there. I mean, I, that was something I wanted to ask you about, about do we need swearing? I had a picnic for my birthday last year and my friend brought her three-year-old at the time and um, she said, you know, as they were leaving, so, mummy, I, I need to go for a wee. And she's like, okay, well, you know, not near a toilet, so you're just going to have to go behind that tree, darling. And she went, she put it at the tree and she went, what, that fucking tree? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> And it was very funny. She's a big swearer, as am I, but I like obviously try not to in front of my daughter, which is weird yeah. in a way because I like I don't want her to go to nursery and get in trouble for swearing. I don't want her yeah. to be like the kid that people don't want to invite to their house because they think she's bad-mannered yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But I genuinely don't give a shit about whether... If she grows up to be a swearer, I'm a massive swearer. I don't care. Like As long as yeah. she knows when it is and isn't appropriate to do it, I'm not bothered because it doesn't offend me. But my friend, sorry, it's a bit of a tangent, but my friend is like evangelical about it. She's like, no, it's a form of expression. Why do we need swearing? Why does any of this matter? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, there's there's that objection you sometimes hear that swearing is unnecessary, um, which is a weird thing to say, actually, as if the rest of what we say is necessary. Mm. Um, you know, so much of what we say is 
you know, sort of small talk and just like please and thank you. Kind of don't, you're not sharing information. It's just ways that we, you know, make our interaction less functional and more interesting, right? So so for a start, I think that's an, a, a puzzling response, really. But yeah, I mean, languages around the world have swear words. So it clearly has this this function. I mean, in part, you might see it as a byproduct of taboo lang. You know, all all cultures have taboos. Their to do with sort of worries about harm in in various ways, f- physically or spiritually. There's also the 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 role it has in venting emotion. Um, I mean, it's interesting. While philosophers haven't really paid much attention to swearing, um, psychologists have, and there's some interesting psychological studies on it. So it seems to be. Uh, a special type of speech. So um, you have some situations where somebody will have suffered a, a stroke or a brain injury and lost the ability to use language, but will sometimes retain certain abilities. So they might be able to sort of recite the days of the week and often swear. It just seems to have this sort of certain role in the brain. There's some interesting studies done by a psychologist at, at Keele University called Richard Stevens and his colleagues where he found that swearing helps us cope with pain. So you had people submerge a hand in a bucket of icy water and keep it there for as long as they could. It's painful after a while, apparently. And then allowed them either to you know, remain silent or swear or say different sorts of words, sort of looked at all the different you know, sort of permutations that he could think of and found that people were able to withstand the pain for longer if they were able to swear, as long as they weren't big swearers in their everyday life. Uh, that case it lost some of its appeal so it does seem to have this this role i mean if not if not necessary it certainly plays this important function for us in various ways helping us ventimation helping us express ourselves um yeah and it's it's pretty ubiquitous in cultures around the world you know there is a school of thought that it's not a creative use of language but i beg to differ i think there's some very creative <laughs> ways of swearing uh, Mickey, one of my co-hosts, is a prolific, inventive swearer. You know, she comes up with stuff all the time. And I'm like, that's fantastic. What does she call David Cameron? Meat face jizz clown, I think, is, <laughs> is is the way she refers to David Cameron. So yeah, like I, I just don't think that's right. What, what do you think? Do you think there is a kind of like baseness to swearing that actually is just a bit lazy? I mean, it, I guess it can be that you sometimes hear it used in that way, that it's almost like a, a way of saying um and ah. Like a filler, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or like. like I'm sort of, mm. as, as soon as I tune into myself saying that, I notice I, yeah, I, I say that quite a lot. But so sometimes swearing will take that form. It, it's, you know, it's just thrown in there. I mean, it depends what you mean by the sort of base and uninteresting, right? It's certainly not really doing much. Um, but then on the other hand, as you say, there were these really creative ways of swearing. So, I mean, the, the thick of it character, Malcolm Tucker, is yes. a famous you example a, of a creative swearing. A brilliant one, which is one of my favourite of all the Tuckerisms, the F star star cunt, uh, <laughs> which my friend actually made me a little embroidery of. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Malcolm Tucker is a brilliant example of creative swearing, yeah. Yeah, Scottish Twitter as well, talking about Donald Trump. That was uh, fantastic. And, you know, the, the, these examples of swearing are kind of celebrated in the media. If you go to BuzzFeed, like Malcolm Tucker's 10 best sayings or, or something like that. Um, so we do we do admire a certain creative use of swearing, I think. I was told 
by a few people actually. So I only speak English with any level of competence. Um, some might even doubt that. But apparently uh, swearing in English is quite boring and that in some other languages there's much more scope for swearing creatively. So somebody told me apparently Russian is like this where it's sort of a, a recognised skill just to kind of go on and on and on like a massive minutes long sweary tirade. I thought, oh God, that's fantastic. We're sort of missing out in a, you know, a sort of a people that only speak English. I mean, and why wouldn't it be? We recognise that there are creative ways of using other aspects of language. So why should swearing be any different, I think? I was interested in the thing about the emotional aspect of swearing. I wondered where Brits rank in terms <laughs> of sweariness. Oh, I don't know if, if this is something you kind of looked into, but are we a particularly sweary nation compared to others? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the short answer is I don't know. But just thinking there's so many different pockets of culture within Britain where swearing is used quite differently. So Scotland, Wales, Ireland will use the word cunts in a different way to people in Southeast England, at least middle class people in Southeast England. <laughs> I guess it, it, it has this association with class as well, doesn't it? So um, uh, there's a, a book on taboos by Alan and Burridge who use this term middle class politeness criterion, which is supposed to convey that when we talk about what's how it's appropriate to behave in polite company, we're talking about how middle class people should behave in polite company. Because, you know, we all know that the the lower classes are vulgar and don't know any better and the upper classes don't like don't care. They can afford to break the rules. So I think it's, you know, you, you have this sort of association, whether it's justified or not, that sort of swearing is common, um, that it's something that people, like working class people do. And then also, you know, we like hearing about upper class swearing, don't we? There's sort of plenty of news stories about uh, members of the royal family swearing. Although maybe not anymore, because it was mainly Prince Philip who produced those instances. <laughs> but yeah, sort of the middle class uh, know that they have to behave. So I don't know. I don't know what conclusions we could draw about swearing in British culture as a whole that wouldn't sort of misrepresent that, that diversity. I was going to hypothesise whether or not that had something to do with the emotional aspects of swearing, but... <laughs> Yeah, we're kind of uh, fond of the understatement, aren't we? All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression. And while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Why fit it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say... I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up, and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. 
Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. One of the points that you comment on in the book is about how context is sort of everything really in, in this. Mm. And I was thinking about this. Swearing is like perfectly socially acceptable in sport. Yeah. So it's socially acceptable for athletes to swear and it's socially acceptable to swear in response to sport. I've been to football matches where I've sat like next to families and there'd be like a guy effing and blinding and the people in the families, you know, on a train, you might say to someone, can you not please, you know, like in front of my kids or whatever, but it's just like, just sort of expected, accepted just not really a problem basically mm, um mm. i wondered why that is yeah um i suppose just taking a step back looking at it more generally we do just get different norms that govern different situations and we're quite good at picking up on that you don't necessarily find your your seats ready to watch a football match and think okay i better switch into like football supporter mode and so that do this and I can't do that. So yeah, it's it's sort of accepted that you can swear while watching a, a sports match. That you can shout. I, I, I've nobody yeah. in particular. Like you wouldn't <laughs> do that on a train either. Um, so I think that there's quite a few differences. And I think the fact that we all know that, or if you're if you're there and you're familiar with what sort of context you're in, <laughs> you know that if somebody swears, it's likely benign, right? It's it's unlikely they're being aggressive towards you. Whereas on a train, if somebody just stands up and shouts and swears then you might be thinking okay something's wrong here what are they going to do next so there would be calls for alarm I think but just knowing okay this is the norm they're behaving in a way that is within the rules that are in place here that kind of makes it less shocking and offensive than it would be in another context as long as you know what rules are are governing you right I remember sort of speaking to somebody who had never been to a football match and was a bit scared to go he was a sort of um, former public school boy and I think he had in mind that there would be all these frightening working class people there swearing <laughs> and he, he was worried uh, about sticking out like a sore thumb. So yeah, I think these, these norms in different situations can be uh, quite intimidating if you're not familiar with them. But yeah, I think, as, as I say, it's not, it's not just about swearing there. It's um, about all sorts of things. Body language, how close it's appropriate mm, yeah. to, and to another person. There's there's all sorts of factors in play. I think there is an exception to that rule about swearing uh, in sports. That brings me to my next point because this is standard issue, and we are obviously mostly interested in in women and how things affect women. So, for example, I wrote a book about football, and 
there were i i counted them after this uh, i i put them through like you know find in the document there were 41 fucks in my book and i was <laughs> i was asked by the publisher to tone it down a little bit and i was like <laughs> well it is a book about football and i don't think it will be anything worse than anyone who's interested in football will have heard on the terraces and they made the point well some people will think it's not suitable for children. And I was like, well, it's not really a book for children. And they're like, well, some old people will be put off as well. And I did wonder at the time, would they have asked a man to tone this down? Yeah. There's another like, very famous example. Kim Sears, Andy Murray's wife, who made the headlines after some what might be described as industrial language during his semi-final in the Australian Open in 2015. This was like a huge news story because she was seen sort of effing and blinding while she was supporting her husband in a tennis match. Why are the rules different for women? Or is it just really quite simple? Yeah, I think it it shouldn't be the case that swearing is more unacceptable when a woman does it compared to when a man does it. But that does seem to be the case. And I think this this was one of the serious issues that I wanted to dive into in my book which is that, you know, swearing is a fun topic, but uh, there's this serious point, which is that often when people react to it, you know, when when people decide whether an instance of swearing is shocking and and offensive or not, and how shocking and offensive it is, often we're just going on gut feeling, you know, sort of how shocked do we feel that we're not necessarily analysing, okay, why do I think this instance of swearing is offensive? Would I think it as as offensive this this other person did it so so I don't think we really analyze why we react the way that we do to swearing and I don't think we know how I'm often asked in interviews about it you know so is, why is swearing so, so shocking like it's this, it, this big mystery and I think a problem with that is that if we're not reflecting on why we react to swearing in the way that we do then our reactions are just breeding grounds for all the sorts of usual biases um, that are sort of well researched and it show up in all sorts of judgments. So you know, biases that yeah judge women more harshly for swearing than men. Biases that judge black people as more aggressive than white people, even when they're behaving in a similar way. We we need to be explicit about what is factoring into our judgments of swearing. And so I think you know there there is this sort of long tradition that women should be um, delicate and. Uh, men can be a bit more rough and ready. And so, you know, that that comes out still in this kind of attitude that women swearing is more shocking than men swearing. Um, So I think we kind of need to stamp that out. An interesting thing that happened while I was writing this book, which um, kind of brought this issue out, is I was waiting to pick my kids up from school. I I took my laptop into a pub around the corner, which was uh, quite, you know, not very busy at half past two in the afternoon. So I was I was sitting there working on my book and these these two guys came up to the bar and they were just sort of having a natter and starting to moan about something and started swearing while they were moaning about whatever it was. And at one point, one of them turned to me and like, oh, God, there's a lady here um, and apologised for the language. Yeah. And I was I was actually working on my chapter called Cunt at the time, but thought, well, I, I'm not going to say that, but like, what a fantastic demonstration of yeah. exactly some of the points that I'm interested in discussing. You know, it, it might not be obvious that something like that is an equality issue. 
you know, that so what if people find swearing by women more shocking than swearing by men? But, you know, the serious side is that then women know that, right? And then that means that it's more likely that we are going to rein ourselves in when we're trying to express ourselves in certain contexts. So, I mean, we, we have come neatly to the con chapter of this uh, this, <laughs> this interview. So, cunt is the worst word in in capital letters and i I like i myself feel like i've had a bit of a roller coaster ride with the c-bomb like i spent a while in my 20s being like i'm reclaiming the word right it's only it's only the worst word because it refers to a woman's vagina you know the most repulsive and yet simultaneously sought after thing that that exists in the world right but I was only ever using it, despite this kind of like, oh, I'm reclaiming it, whatever. I was only ever using it in the worst context. So like, you know, in an angry, like, you're a fucking cunt rather than a ha-ha, you bunch of cunts sort of way. And so I was like, well, actually, I'm the problem here because I've been socialised to feel that this is a word that is reserved for extreme circumstances, right? So then I decided, because I almost exclusively use this word to refer to people that I really dislike usually men and it was in fact Boris Johnson who uh, was kind of like light bulb moment (laughs) for me a cunt is a wonderful beautiful joyful life-giving organ right so why am I using this to describe terrible men all the time so (laughs) I decided that for me reclaiming the word cunt would look like me actually not using it to describe the worst people, which I have largely stuck to, but sometimes only cunt will do, right? Mm, mm, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? So I think the, the positive angle here is that when we're talking about cunt being the worst words, that's only really the case in certain cultures. So in Southeast England, at least in sort of middle class Southeast England mm. and the the US, they have a different yeah. sense of it where it's sort of mainly used as an insult to a woman, whereas I think in the oh, UK... Oh, really? We, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's sort of almost a slur-like term, I think. Um, it, it isn't a slur for sort of reasons that we can go into, if you like. But um, but yeah, it, it is a word that's used against women. Whereas I think, it's, as you say, people using it in its strongest sense in the UK would typically be using it to refer to a man. But we do have, you know, other pockets of English-speaking culture, so uh, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, Australia, which have this use of it that's quite affectionate and benign. So you know, you you can't can just be like buddy, um, you know, a little bit of camaraderie, almost affection. So I think that the existence of those uses gives us hope that there's a path away from this really powerful use of it. I suppose, you know, some people might be thinking, well, what's wrong with the really powerful use of it? It's actually quite useful. And I think the problem is that the fact that the, you know, you might see it as the word cunt as equivalent to the word cock. You know, they both refer to genitals. Cock is not offensive, is it, in the same way? No, it's relatively, you wouldn't want to be called a cock. No, but but it's quite benign on the the scale of things, I think. mild. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, sort of misogyny must be the explanation for that. that Yeah. It's quite hard to explain without misogyny. I think a tricky thing is, how's it possible to reclaim it and sort of give it a more benign, positive connotation 
without upsetting everybody. So so people have talked about, uh, in more general terms, causing offence in a sort of deliberate way that is designed to draw attention to an issue. So you see this in, for example, you know, some of the gay kissing protests that you saw in Russia, which was sort of uh, a way of protesting homophobic laws. So uh, a load of gay people would get together in a certain place and as a form of protest, they would kiss. And, And also breastfeeding protests so that you sometimes see if if a nursing mother is harassed while she's breastfeeding you sometimes see protests where um, lots of mothers will gather in a certain area and they will breastfeed in protest and I think that the the idea of reclaiming cunt is similar that it's what you're trying to do if you're trying to reclaim it is say I'm doing this more rather than less because I want to draw your attention to the fact that it shouldn't be as offensive as it is but I think the problem is that things like breastfeeding and kissing are not activities that are usually used to cause offence. You know, it's pretty obvious when you see those protests that the people doing it are not trying to offend anyone. They're trying to make a serious point. But on the other hand, you know, if you use cunt more often in an attempt to reclaim it, then the risk would be that you are going to offend and alienate people that they're just going to be upset with you they're not going to realize what you're doing and I think probably the answer is to do it incrementally and I think also uh, we could so, so organizations like Ofcom and the BBFC could play a role here they're, they're quite reactive organizations where they will you know, they'll decide their policy on offensive language by going out and doing surveys, asking people, you know, what do you think of these expressions, which is the most offensive and so on. So it's really sort of taking whatever the public thinks, they're going to reflect that. So they're not really trying to engineer public attitudes in any certain direction. And I think they could do that. I think they could take an approach of, well, people still find the word cunt super offensive, but that's quite concerning. So we're just going to sort of gradually take a more permissive attitude to it. You know, not necessarily shoving it in people's faces in a mid-morning TV show, but, you know, maybe you could sort of sprinkle a few cunts liberally (laughs) after the watershed, say, get people used to it. Sprinkle a few cunts, I like that. Um, It's funny because I have to say, like, I wince much harder if I hear a man call a woman a bitch, refer to a woman as a bitch, I find that to be way more gendered and offensive. Like, not in a kind of, like, you know, a jokey way. And I don't, like, I don't really mind so much if I hear women saying it, but I really dislike hearing a man referring to a woman as a bitch, like, in anger or or as a slur. Why do you think that is? I don't. I think because it is a gendered word, isn't it? It is used against mm. women, and I don't feel like yeah. certainly in the UK. I don't feel like "cunt" is used against women in yeah. the same yeah. way as it would be in the US. No, I think we're right, and I think when a woman is called a bitch, it's often in response to her doing something yeah. that a man would get away with, like sort of being assertive or mm. you, you know uh, not being accommodating enough, not being nurturing. You know, sort of behaviour that might be a mark of good leadership, say, in a man, but in a <laughs> <Yes>. woman, you know, <laughs> with sort of a hard-nosed bitch. So it is a little bit, it's almost like a propaganda term, I think it can be, that it's sort of selling us this mm. worldview of what women should be like. Interesting. I'd never really thought of it in that way. 
Well, neither have I, actually. I might be spouting a load of nonsense. Well, there you go. There's, there's, <laughs> have that as a sequel. <laughs> so, Rebecca, you have also got a podcast, haven't you, The Academic Imperfectionist. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's been going a few, uh, a couple of years. It, it's my attempt to, because I'm a philosopher, so to try and use philosophy to provide insights to make people's lives better. It started out me kind of trying to give advice to myself. So I talk about issues like procrastination, being nasty to ourselves, self-doubt, things like that. And I think about five years ago, I would have been afraid to say to any fellow academics, I procrastinate a lot, um, which unfortunately I do. Or I might have said it, but uh, I would have sort of said it in a joking way and sort of bit, but secretly thinking, no, but seriously, I would really hate you to see how much I do this. <laughs> so part of it was I, I, I want to talk about the the problematic behaviours that hold us back and that we are afraid to talk about because we think they show us up as being bad, inadequate people. I just sort of help people just work more positively and accept ourselves and our flaws, um, be a bit more compassionate. So yeah, it's uh, it's an attempt to sort of coach using philosophy as uh, sort of I, I use sort of various insights from different philosophers to talk about how how we can improve our lives. That sounds like something I need to listen to, frankly. So I will be <laughs> looking that up. What is next for you? Have you got any other books or or things like this in the pipeline, or are you going to have a well deserved rest? Are you sort of researching anything at the moment? Yeah, I mean, bizarrely, I am quite keen to get started on the next book. Um, which might be because I took so long to write the swearing one and I kind of feel like I have to redeem myself. Yeah, so I'm I'm starting a, a new book project which is on uh, indirect communication. So things like sulking, passive aggression, Ooh. gaslighting, flirting, how we do this, why we do it, because we have a sort of, our language is very powerful. We can easily express ourselves clearly if we want to. It's just that sometimes we decide not to, and that we want to sort of hit and speak indirectly. Um, and also the, the ethics around that. So things like, well, what makes the difference between sulking in a way that's just annoying and sulking as part of emotional abuse? So it's, it's sort of basically stuff that sprung out of the swearing book. I was going to have a, a, a chapter on passive aggression in there, which was going to be along the lines of, you know, sometimes we want to say something offensive to people, but we want to avoid being seen as rude so we might avoid swearing but passive aggressively attack them so I was going to talk that in the uh, talk about that in a book and then just started writing about it and then realized oh actually this is probably a project in its own right so that's what I'm thinking about next but I am also going to have a nice rest so these things are not mutually exclusive good Glad to hear it. Okay, Rebecca, where can we follow you? Are you on any social media so we can see what you're up to next? Yeah, I'm in the usual places. Rebecca underscore Roach on Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. I'm on Blue Sky when I remember that I've got that too because Twitter is slowly dying, isn't it? Yeah, I've also got a website, academicimperfectionist.com, which has got my podcast on it and sort of resources associated with that. Right, okay, so... For fuck's sake, Why Swearing is Shocking, Rude and Fun is published by Oxford University Press and is available now. Rebecca, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much. I've loved talking to you.
standard issue for all women.